0: think that classical music is not for you and you don't know where to start. Or maybe you're a fan already and would welcome a fresh approach. You've come to the right place. Perfect pitch is for everyone, beginners or experts, whatever your age. Lend Nick Healy Hutchinson your
1: ears for his weekly dose of classical music that will enrich your life. I've spoken about one-hit wonders in the past, and in that context you have to feel sorry for the composer Johann Hummel, who was at a disadvantage the moment he popped out from his mother's womb. Any would be composer whose dates of 1787 to 1837 clashed so closely with Beethoven's of 1770 to 1827 was always going to be up against it, and the reality is that very few came away with a really solid legacy, Franz Schubert being the only clear front runner. Hummel and Beethoven had their spats although they were reconciled at Beethoven's death. And he was, along with Schubert, a supporter at the great man's funeral. He had a good musical start, certainly. His father was a conductor and he had two years of piano teaching by Mozart, making his first public appearance at the age of nine. He was a very talented pianist and prolific composer, especially for the piano. His music was well received and widely performed in his lifetime, and Chopin was definitely influenced by him. And yet, quite possibly, or more probably most likely, because of living in the shadow of Beethoven, it wasn't long before his popularity waned, and nowadays it's his trumpet concerto which gets the most airing. One of the obvious dangers of a piece being overplayed is that it can have the effect of hiding its mastery. We just get so familiar with it that we fail to recognise its true value. The absolutely exquisite first violin concerto by Mendelssohn is a perfect example but when it's performed by someone right at the top of their game, you can really hear the treasures of the music. I'm afraid that history has decided that Hummel's trumpet concerto now falls into this category, so I make no apology for calling on Winter Marsalis again, whom we heard in the very first episode playing Haydn's concerto. Here he is in the final movement, delivering a veritable masterclass in technique, breath control and musicianship. No offence to the other great virtuosos of this instrument, but I don't think any of them can hold a candle to this in a live performance. No chance of another take with the luxury of a recording studio, and yet it's note perfect from start to finish. It's worth looking it up on the internet, actually, because, and this is not a phrase I ever expected to use in classical music context, Marsalis is one cool dude. <laughs> this is the sort of thing that Hummel was up against. In 1798, Beethoven wrote two romances for violin. Both of them are gentle and charming pieces. On the face of it, you might think that's no big deal, except for the fact that Beethoven's deafness was beginning to take hold and Austria was being heavily besieged by one Napoleon Bonaparte. In such circumstances, it's extraordinary that anyone could write music as peaceful and escapist as this. The second one, which we're going to listen to now, is marked adagio cantabile, which means at a gentle pace, in a singing-like manner. Far be it from me to question the markings of the composer, but the result, I think you'll agree, is sweetness itself. So a simple dolce might have made the intention just as well. We're going to hear it played by the German violinist Anne-Sophie Mutter, accompanied by the Staatskapelle Orchestra Berlin, conducted by Manfred Honig. Those of you familiar with this artist will know that her concert attire is an almost trademark backless dress. So as a German, she'll doubtless be more than familiar with the phrase an aunt of mine told me when I was living with her in Hamburg trying to master the language for my A-levels. I'm not sure who she was speaking of at the time, but she smiled knowingly and said Ein schöner Rücken kann auch entzucken. Like any phrase which rhymes in a different language, it doesn't translate well into English. But its simple meaning is, a lovely back can also delight. Mutter clearly knows it, and I doubt anyone would disagree. And you'll be checking it later, and you know it. But what a gorgeous sound this is. The great cellist Pablo Casals once said that he needed the music of Bach first thing in the morning more than food and water itself, and the neoclassical French painter Jean Ingres said something along the lines of whoever studies music should take Haydn as his daily bread. So with those two endorsements, I'm going to play a piece from each. Bach's Italian Concerto was composed for a dual manual harpsichord in 1735 but sounds every bit as good and joyful on the piano, especially in the hands of a maestro like András Schiff. The Italian Concerto focuses on different exchanges between various instruments of the orchestra, which is why bass composition is specifically for a two-manual keyboard, because it allows for the contrast between loud and soft. But the piano is a very versatile instrument and can bring to life various sections of the orchestra better than any other solo instrument. And this is very apparent in Schiff's interpretation, as you will hear all too clearly. Like a regular concerto with orchestra, it has three movements, fast, slow, fast, and it's yet another of those pieces which gives lie to the myth that Bach's music is mechanical and devoid of feeling. So next time you hear anyone making such a bold and frankly ignorant statement, put them in their place and ask them straight, have you heard the Italian concerto by any chance? Yeah, but, no, but, yeah, but nothing. Nothing. This is delightful music. and so to heighten, and the finale of his symphony number 102. This is the tenth of his 12 London symphonies, all composed and played on his second trip to London in 1795. It was also the occasion when the chandelier came crashing to the ground without injuring anybody, because the audience had all moved forward to be close to the composer, who was directing the concert from the keyboard. Apparently, it caused someone to shout out Miracle, but this is not the symphony which bears that title, that one being number 96, for the simple reason that for a long time the chandelier event was believed to have happened at the premiere of the earlier symphony. By now, Haydn was really pushing the boat out in terms of symphonic exploration, and his London audiences were hugely enthusiastic. He may even have felt he could be a bit more adventurous with less aristocratic audiences than the ones he had at home. I've said before that Haydn, in my view, is seen far too much as a support act. He's very much more than that. The finale, The Presto, from Haydn's Symphony Number no. 102, is played here by Les Musiciens du Louvre, conducted by Mark Minkowski.